0: Okay, round robin. What's everyone's favorite German word? Mine is Be- Beifengesicht.
1: My favorite German word um, is actually two different words uh, the verb strahlen and the noun sonnenstrahl. Russ.
2: Oh, uh, chocolate cake. <laughs> what? Pierogi?
1: That's Polish.
2: Das Boot. Das Boot, the boat. Hakuna Matata.
0: Swahili. Spesst
1: er kein Deutsch?
0: Nein, aber er ist gut in anderen Dingen. Oh, okay.
2: (laughs) Herga-derga-gergen-dergen.
0: That's Swedish Chef. (laughs) Welcome to Getting Down and Wordy.
2: I'm Russell Perkle.
0: I'm Hannah, and I'm also on the podcast. And Russ, today we are joined. We are joined by a new face, a new voice, actually. Hello. Paisley.
1: Hello. How are you guys?
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so uh, Paisley, she's from uh, an amazing podcast, Learn German Through Music. Uh, You can find it on Spotify. Um this podcast I'll give my nutshell and then Paisley you can explain it better but essentially okay. uh you learn german using a german song and then some basically like vocabulary to uh english to german german to english translation of the song is that more or less it
1: Um, More or less, yes. So I take a a popular music song um, with each lesson, and I pick about 30 vocabulary words from the song, and I teach that. So basically, it's teaching the vocabulary um, of each song. It's kind of just like a, a vocabulary building exercise. I don't really get into grammar too much. And as much as possible, I try to sort of inject some sort of um, history lesson in it. Um, So my most recent episode, uh, the song relates to cars. So I talk a little bit about the Munich Auto Show and, you know, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I I thanks for
1: having me on, guys.
2: Of course. Thanks for coming. I I was thinking about this, like, uh, I don't know what's more stressful, like, making a podcast or being a guest on somebody else's podcast. Like, I was trying to think, <laughs> like, recording my own podcast or, like, going on to someone else's, like, which is more anxiety inducing, <laughs> you know?
1: This is my second time being a guest on someone else's podcast, and it's pretty (laughs) anxiety-inducing. I have a lot of guests on mine, so now I appreciate what they're going through.
2: (laughs) And for me, honestly, it's just the opposite. Like on somebody else's podcast, I just don't worry. (laughs) I'm just like, they'll handle it. I can just sit here and whatever I give Mm -hmm. them is just... Extra, yeah, whenever you
0: know. we guest, I don't even wear pants. <laughs> it's, like, super casual. But, <laughs> but 30 vocabulary words is a lot more vocabulary words than we do.
1: On our show, we usually do, like, <laughs> one. Well, you get...
2: Yeah, yeah. if we get around to <laughs> it. do get we much forget. deeper into the meanings
1: behind the words.
2: Yeah, we try. I mean, I was thinking about, like, uh, we started trying to do, like, a lot of times trivia about the artist before we start and I find like we can do about three trivia facts because like our ability to like focus on a topic is so poor that like <laughs> trying to trying to convey three pieces of information <laughs> takes about 30 minutes I think <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate about your podcast uh, Paisley like uh, you know it's, it's such like a simple concept very well done and I think I also really like the uh, curating uh, service. You know, like you say, now you're trying to do, like, themes and, like, relate it to, like, history or something about German culture and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, it's really cool. I mean, as someone who has no no experience with German and no intention of learning it, (laughs) I still really appreciate the show because, like, It's like it's a kind of a good uh, window or bridge into experiencing a song in another culture without really needing to totally know the language because, you know, it's like you get the explanations. You can start to kind of recognize a word or two whenever you hear it the second or third time. And uh, you give it you really give the context of the um, of the song very well, you know.
1: Well, thank you. I, I appreciate the compliment.
0: It's also a very useful um, uh, tool for anybody who's studying the English language as well. German and English have a lot of cognates. They have a lot of uh, very related uh, origins, words. Um, It's, I mean, obviously English native speakers don't automatically understand German. But uh, if you know a little bit of, I mean, if you know English, you can probably know, uh, uh, guess a fair amount of German.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I find that the oddly enough, you wouldn't expect this, but the the more you advance in the language, the more your English comes handy. And actually, um mm. that's also where you start to see a lot of French introduced into the language because German also has a lot of a, a lot of uh influence from f- the French language. So, it's kind of odd. It's like, you know, yeah. It's kind of odd that I I feel like I see more of the French that we use in everyday English and English coming in in you know, beyond the intermediate level in German. Mm. Nice. So it gets that's easier as way. you go. That's that's the good thing.
2: <laughs> yeah. So supposedly English is about 45 percent uh, originating in French, you know, so it's about half French. I wonder how much German is. Is of French origin. I mean, I, I don't know why, but I just assume it's a lower amount than forty five percent.
1: I do not have these figures with me, <laughs> sure, <laughs> unfortunately. <of course> <laughs> uh, this is an but, yeah, it, it comes in quite podcast. a bit, and actually, um, I've noticed that uh, saying merci is is quite popular there. Just you know, as a sort of a slang hmm. alternative.
0: Oh. Uh, that that's cool. When did that start? Cuz uh, I know that sometimes European languages come in and out of vogue in Europe. Like um mm-hmm. in the 1770s, uh, uh we famously know macaroni was slang for really cool because Italian was in vogue.
1: Um I'm not exactly sure. It's something I've sort of noticed recently, um although I did sort of have a period where I didn't really engage with the language that much or with mm. native speakers so i i can't really say for sure um i know that saying chow as opposed to saying has been very popular for a very long time
0: it's
3: certainly much um, shorter certainly than back
1: at least to the 90s that they've been using the italian chow
2: I, I think that i'm very impressed by your taste in music. I was really curious like how do you choose the songs that you chose and like how do you just generally know about like what are the good or interesting uh songs in in uh Germany? I mean for us it it's very easy cuz we're doing like generally the most popular songs in the country and so it's very easy to find songs, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. but I I think you're you're much more eclectic, much more picking songs that people would actually be glad that they heard (laughs) um
1: well for the podcast that's part of the reason i started um trying to associate the songs with a particular event um because otherwise it would just be like you know learning german with these three bands that i like a lot (laughs) so it it sort of (laughs) I want to have some variety in the show, and, um, you know, representation is important to me, so I try to feature artists of color. Um, So, you know, I had a Black History Month uh, featured artist in February, and, um, so that's just kind of a way for me to have more vari- more musical variety in there. But honestly, I've always sort of sought out German music. Um, and not just German music. My My iPod is full of more languages than I can think of right now. I just, I like world music. I like music in general. And I've always sort of... I've always had eclectic taste. And I've always sought things out. Um, back before the internet was a thing when I was in high school, I actually used to have a number of pen pals um, around the country and overseas that I would exchange. Um, we would exchange music tapes through the mail. So um, for instance, I had a a pen pal in Australia for years. So she would send me mixtapes of Australian bands. I would send her mixtapes of American bands. And, you know, I learned a lot of new music that way as well.
0: Wow. The world
2: before email. We should really make a good, uh, balance now because Hannah hates Mm -hmm. music. And I have very bad (laughs) taste in music. So now we've got like all three varieties of person.
1: (laughs) You've got the, the music obsessed person.
2: (laughs) Sure.
0: <laughs> uh, so, speaking of uh German songs, what did we bring today, Paisley, you are the one who picked out this song? Uh
1: we are going to be basing your episode off of the song uh Kind of Alcohol ist Alk keine Lösung" by one of my absolute favorite bands of all time, Die Totenhosen.
2: Mhm. And we should mention uh Generally on this podcast, so of course we talk about uh, popular music and also something in etymology or linguistics. But I guess if you've been listening this long, you probably have some idea yes. <laughs> what the podcast is that you're <laughs> listening to. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. First time hearing this band. Hannah, is your first time?
0: Uh. Yeah. First time. So, Toten hosen. I know that hosen is pants. Uh. What's toten?
2: The
1: literal meaning. There's a literal meaning and a figurative meaning um, behind the band's name. And the literal meaning is the dead pants. However, this is... (laughs) So that sounds kind of silly. I've even worn the t-shirt and had uh, people who speak German look at it and say, what the heck is that supposed to be about? Um, But... It is also a figurative term that means basically that things are very boring or that there's absolutely nothing going on um like if, for example, you went down to your local pub and it was just dead that night, you'd say you know as as is totenhosen in here, um so loosely uh, <laughs> uh-huh. loosely i, I the, guess it
2: I guess it's like uh comes from the the idea that it rhymes probably this this like is how the phrase probably came about Mm, i'm
1: not entirely sure to be honest um it's still kind of uh it's not a slang term i've ever heard used in reality like Mm. in in the wild (laughs) i've never encountered it in the wild um but basically from what i understand uh the band's name loosely translates to the deadbeats oh
0: Oh, okay. Ah, sure. That's a very bold move. As in, like, move. there's nothing
1: going on with them.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a very bold move to name yourself yeah. after something boring.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and funnily enough, I think there was one instance when a radio announcer or somebody in the music business... um. Didn't quite hear the name right or didn't quite spell it out right. And um, they announced the band somewhere as D. Totenhausen, which would mean the Dead Rabbits. <laughs> 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 they just kind of went with it for that particular concert.
2: To me, this band kind of sounds like a German Green Day. I don't know why, but <laughs> I think it's got kind of that. It's like a, it's got that kind of guitar forward. Uh, sound to it, and then kind of the punkishness to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just thought somehow it just brought me back to mm. like a Green Day or something. I mm. I don't know if you get that vibe. Well, this particular song was um, released
0: in two thousand two, so that is about the Green Day era.
1: <laughs> it's a band that's mellowed out over the years. I'd say they started out sounding a lot more um like the Sex Pistols, and they've kind of moved in a more mainstream direction. Um, I've heard other people compare them to Offspring, Um, but yeah, I think Green Day is a pretty good comparison as well. Yeah, just kind of your typical mainstream punk now, more than anything.
0: So what is your karaoke factor on this one?
1: (laughs) They, They are great to sing along to, Absolutely fantastic to sing along to. Um, they're very good at at just you know drunken anthems and very sentimental songs. And yeah. Oh,
2: uh, yeah, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. It's like songs where you already sound like you must be drinking while you're singing it anyway. So right. Yeah, good for karaoke, I guess. And the le- yeah, and the. No, song... I'd say they'd be great.
0: Yeah, I feel like the song is also it's got like a chorus kind of feel. Like it's got like. The feel of everybody in the bar drinking, singing the same song, like a fun drinking song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just hear multiple
3: voices. I mean, I,
2: I guess the question is like, how critical is it of drinking? Because I, I think I, I lose the nuance whenever I just have to read the translation. I could mm-hmm. never really figure out: is it supposed to be kind of ambivalent, or is it supposed to be more on the side of drinking is terrible you know which in that case i don't think you should be singing it in the karaoke (laughs) bar
1: um it's definitely more pro-alcohol it's basically Mm -hmm. you know like i've tried not drinking and that doesn't work either (laughs) so i'm just gonna keep doing what i'm doing
0: I was gonna say it's got a very nihilistic feel, uh, but it does have some mm. of my absolute favorite. It has like my absolute favorite lyric of any German song I've ever listened to: Paisley, from um, oh, Vatican yeah? Taliban, sieht man dass es stimmt, dass es abends, uh, abends noch immer die schlimmsten sind. It means, uh, from the Vatican to the Taliban, um, basically, all teetotalers are still the worst. So it doesn't matter whether you're drinking or not. Yes. If you're a bad, if you're awful, you're still going to be awful if you don't drink.
1: Yeah.
2: Just an aside about this word, uh, teetotalers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't look it up for today, but uh, so this, like, where does this come from? Teetotaler for, for not drinking. So... I know yeah, this please. one! I, I know this one! I was one. the only one who knew, but you tell me. Yes, the. yes. I actually, yeah, um,
0: I came across this one, and we had uh, an episode a couple months ago, I think, where we talked about problematic um, uh, language that that has made its way into the mainstream. And Teetotaler is kind of, uh, it's got some problematic origins. Uh, it, uh, back...
2: Oh, then I think I actually have a totally different origin for it than Yeah. You, so I'm curious now which one is the more... Uh, likely to be factual ones. so tell me yours paisley
0: you're gonna have to be the deciding factor on this so um the, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um,
2: i don't i don't think she i don't know if we could put her on on the uh in the seat of having to like decide which is true. yeah history. no i mean it's
0: the it's the tiebreaker to, uh since we've got three people now and one of us has one version and the other has another version paisley unless you've got a third version you're the tiebreaker so, <laughs> <laughs> I do not
1: have a third uh, version, although I am familiar with the term.
0: <laughs> so, um, the research that I did a couple of weeks ago, and it isn't as fresh in my mind because this was about alcohol, not about teetotaling. Um, but there was a very popular, um, hang on, um, there was a very popular <laughs> temperance movement, gentlemen, uh, at the time. And the temperance movement, obviously, was uh, do not drink. It um, uh, was uh, during Prohibition in the United States. Uh, but he had a very pronounced stutter. So anytime he would say to totally abstain, um, people would hear to totally, and they would say teetotal. That's where uh, teetotaling comes from.
2: Mm. Okay, so mine is much more uh, neutral and not offensive. So I don't <laughs> know which one's likely to be true, but uh, so basically the idea is that At the time, you would kind of add emphasis to uh, something by saying this is like, let's say, capital G good, or this is like, uh, capital B bad, or uh, he, he is capital R rich, or something like that. So originally, the statement was something like, capital T total and by total they meant I'm like totally not drinking at all ever like totally abstaining from it and so it started out as capital T total and then from there just uh they dropped the capital and it was just T total T total that's
0: a much more friendly way Hmm. all right Paisley you're the tiebreaker
1: Oh gosh, I don't even know. I always thought it was T E A totaler, as if I, as in they only drink tea. <laughs> <laughs> they, totally drink tea. Yeah, that must be. The I mean, real being a, being that it's a British term. Um, mm. Yeah, that's. I guess that's where my mind went. <laughs> oh gotcha. my gosh! Totally drink yeah. tea.
0: Oh my, and not the Long Island iced kind.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh I think hmm. they're both equally good <laughs> answers. <laughs>
0: and that's why I kind of really respect German as a language because it's so straightforward. Like there's no nuance in abstinencer. Abstinenzler? Abstinenzler. It just <laughs> somebody who
3: abstains. Abstinence.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Speaking of nuance though, so, I mean like I was thinking about this song and then uh the song you just did, the Fourth mm-hmm. Fiesta song. What was the band for das that? Das Lumpenpark. Sure, and and then the first song you ever did was like, uh, please. Don't oh yeah, Make a uh, podcast, podcast right?
1: by Fun Vegan Lisbeth, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that seemed really like good. a natural and, starting and like, point. <laughs>
2: all of it... <laughs> yeah, genius, totally genius, and and all of them had this feeling of like it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek like it's almost like a little twist about what they're actually talking about like this song today it's like kind of like making all these tongue-in-cheek statements about how drinking is bad and about how not Mm -hmm. drinking is bad and things like that and then the the podcast one you you assume it's just like he doesn't want him to his friend to make a podcast because you know everybody makes a podcast and it's like there's enough podcasts already but then at the end it seems like he it seems like this very sweet right, thing where, where he's, he's like, Well, if you already are talking on your podcast, then you won't have anything yeah. left to say to me or yeah, something Yeah, huh? I do like right? that. So I do sweet. like
1: that about it. And that band is is very good with sort of you know, coming at you from an unexpected angle with things. That's part of what I really like about them. I like that
2: and maybe all german bands i mean it's like this song too it's kind of like oh they got some kind of an mm-hmm. angle as you put yeah. it you know so uh of course today with this song about drinking or not drinking alcohol uh we are talking about alcohol more specifically beer because we have a uh, oktoberfest uh when does it start it must start pretty soon now i
1: would imagine it's already started because it um ends in october which is one thing that people um usually find surprising um and i've been to oktoberfest uh let me see what time it started this year i'm looking i'm
2: uh, I see it here. September 17. Right. Okay, so, so very uh, soon. Not quite there very yet soon. this weekend.
0: This Saturday actually, as right, of this recording. It's, it's
2: something like Yeah, it's something like 2 weeks or 2 to 3 weeks before the first Sunday mm, or Monday of right, October or right. something like that. It's like leading up to the start of October. Yeah, and a-
1: effectively it, um at least in Munich it goes on for almost a month. All of Oktoberfest. Um, and it kind of. Um, as it should. As it should. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. And.
2: Uh, so it's it's kind of like the, the Mardi Gras of Germany. You know, it's like this Louisiana Mardi Gras, where it's like in New Orleans. It just happens <laughs> all month. Well, that's
1: actually Fasching. They do actually have Mardi Gras in Germany um, at about the same time of year. And it's called Fasching and Peep. People do dress up for that, so Oktoberfest is kind of its own little thing.
0: Are you saying that like a full one-sixth of the year in Germany is dedicated to drinking and partying?
1: Oh, lord yes.
2: (laughs) 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 Something I thought was a nice detail about Oktoberfest, uh, I was reading that they extended it like a day or two, uh, in order to lead up to the German reunification day, I don't know. Did you know this? Like, uh, the, it happened to be that mm-hmm. East and West Germany came back together on something mm-hmm. like October third or something like that. Uh, so they said, "Well, it's close enough, so let's just celebrate that too." You know, I thought it's cool because it makes it kind of this big uh, German culture holiday mm-hmm. in, in like a much greater sense. I
0: do like that, especially since the original Oktoberfest was a wedding celebration. It's nice to have, like, mm-hmm. for a, a famously unhappy marriage. So it's really nice that that there is, like, this really positive association with uh, Oktoberfest now.
1: It's interesting. And actually, this band um, last year did a song. Um, they and a German rapper by the name of Marteria, uh each did a song uh, that addresses the reunification of Germany. Um, so... Die Totenhosen oh. being a West German band and Martaria being from East Germany, they sort of wrote from their own perspectives and it's it's definitely worth looking into if you're, you know, interested in that. It's a it's a good couple of songs, quite oh, tongue in cheek humorous. Oh, mm-hmm. I like
0: that.
2: Wow, good place.
0: Sorry, everybody talks about German like it's this really harsh language, but if you actually understand German, it's so cute.
1: I think it's, so. It's <laughs>
0: I think it's really, really adorable, and and I might be a little bit biased, but, uh, I mean, like, you know what you call gloves in German, Russ? It's
3: Ponshue. really
2: cute. Yeah, I saw that recently. <laughs>
0: Hand
3: shoes. Yeah. How cute is Hand that?
1: I learned one recently, um, because I was in Berlin recently at the zoo, and I had not known this before, but meerkats? The German word for meerkats translates to little earthmen. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's just adorable. the cutest thing.
2: <laughs> uh, I know one actually. So, uh, not a meerkat. I, I don't know any meerkats. That <laughs> cool, but, uh, uh, I read recently that uh, the German word for raccoon is like water bear because mm-hmm. they have this habit of washing their hands. Uh, no, wash bear. Mm-hmm. Wash bear because Wash they have bear. this habit of washing their hands right oh
1: that's so cute mm-hmm. i'm
2: sorry that's Good. adorable
1: and uh another one that's really cute that i like guinea pigs um the name for them translates to uh little sea pigs Meerschweinchen. Oh. <laughs> oh that's adorable little sea pigs, little sea pigs.
2: Like C, like S-C-A. I have like no
1: C- idea why sea has anything to do with it. But yes, it's, it's little sea pigs.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're Peruvian, <laughs> yeah, right? I guess they Peruvian like came
2: Lilo? over the sea. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe
1: they're better swimmers <laughs> than I thought.
2: So, of course, today we're not talking about uh, German politics or sea pigs. We're generally <laughs> talking about uh, alcohol and beer. So, uh, obviously alcohol the uh active ingredient in beer so maybe a good place to start would be to talk about the uh, etymology and generally what what is this word alcohol where did it come from uh things like that uh I I think I'd like to hear what you have to say Paisley because you said you had some uh research about how the English and the German roots were kind of uh parallel yes
1: um yeah basically um I can just read what I copied down so for the sure. for the English version I'm sure you guys came up with basically the same thing um from the 1540s a fine power a fine powder produced by sublimation from medieval latin alcohol powdered ore of antimony uh, from mm-hmm. Arab- mm-hmm. from the Arabic alcohol, coal, the fine metallic powder used to darken the eyelids. Um, oh. And then it looks like, uh, let's see, Paracelsus, who I don't know who that is. Sounds Greek. I use the word to refer to a fine powder, but also a volatile liquid. By the 1670s, it was being used in English for any sublimated substance, the pure spirit of anything, including liquids. The sense of intoxicating ingredient in strong liquor is attested by 1753, short for alcohol of wine, which then was extended to the intoxicating element and fermented liquors, the formerly preferred terms for the substance were rectified spirits or brandy. And that and that's basically almost word for word um, what I found in the German etymology for the word.
3: Oh.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what Which is the German cause... word for alcohol? Alcohol.
3: Alcohol. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> sure, right. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and so so uh obviously we we have here, as you said, like an Arabic word mm-hmm. uh, at its root, like al kohol, and, and as you said, so coal has some meaning, something like a kind of a dark powder mm. in some way or other. this This could be made from a lot of different things. It just happened to be you know, kind of what they use for uh, eyeliner, essentially, you know, so anything dark and powdery would be fine. Uh, this al, as I guess most people know, means short like for the. Albert. Uh, in Arabic it's kind of their article, uh, other words, like algebra, almanac, alchemy uh, and speaking of alchemy, so of course, this was effectively came about through this uh science or pseudoscience of of alchemy um a- a- effectively before these kind of like alchemical explorations, we didn't really have uh what we think of today is like hard liquor you know like uh we had beer we had wine these were made through uh fermentation processes uh and they were were actually weren't usually weren't terribly strong you know because it was just kind of uh you kind of let it ferment and you just hoped for the best you know uh just alchemy was really the first alcohol content
0: to kill the cholera
2: <laughs> hope so I mean, judging by how many people die from cholera, I don't know i mean I don't think they quite did it <laughs> but um alchemy they were just generally like able to to separate things from uh from materials in some ways and or others, and actually that's interestingly one of the few things that they managed to do that actually was something you know they did a lot of really dumb stuff where they were like. You know, uh pure like uh creating a crystal from urine and then encouraging people to eat it or something like that. You know, a lot of weird <laughs> bad ideas. They, That's they never a really did bad out. idea. <laughs> the meaning of life or the eternal life or philosopher's stone, anything like that. But but they did manage to figure out how to extract alcohol, essentially.
0: And know? sorry, who was this? The um, uh Arabic alchemists.
2: Yeah, so uh a lot of them were arabic uh, a lot of them were italian as well generally just medieval mm. europeans and west asians generally <laughs> you know a lot of uh mixing around there and um so as you said this this uh this word like alcohol uh this came about because the um the like coal that they were using it as makeup there they actually tended to make this through an alchemy process of extrusion, essentially, or, or sublimation, as you said. So that, that means, essentially, you're taking something that's a solid and you're turning it into a gas, like a vapor, right? And then it resolidifies, and then you have usually a powder, but uh, in some cases a liquid as well, right? And so this, of course, just kind of generalized such that uh, eventually anything that you made through sublimation through alchemy was considered an alcohol as you said, or alcohol. And then from there it's specified against where, uh, alcohol was specifically the alcohol of a grape. And then, and then there it became just the alcoholic content of anything at all, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, what was I gonna say? Uh so, oh, so so it's interesting to notice. So you have this word uh, spirit, uh, which there's a lot of argument over why do we call alcohol spirits as well, but probably it's something a bit similar. You know, a lot of uh alchemists used uh Latin in their um in their records, in their writing about what they were doing, things like that. And so, of course, in Latin, spirit or spiritus or whatever would have meant something a bit like breath or air or a blowing, something like that. So vapor would have been a fair uh, approximation of spirit. And so probably through this kind of sublimation process, they had this idea that alcohol was like a spirit as in it was like a vapor, you know.
0: I kind of love how people weren't washing their hands, but they were creating these weird chemical processes that included, like, turning something into a gas and then a solid and then a liquid and then drinking that. Like, we came up with that before we came up with germ theory.
2: Yeah, and even now, I mean, look, uh, I, I, would, I would hate to actually learn, like, to have the wool pulled from my eyes about how many people wash their hands today. <laughs> <you know. laughs> So um as as I said this uh the alcohol this idea kind of came about in the let's say uh or at least connecting it to liquor as we think of alcohol today maybe the uh late 17th century or sometime in the early 18th century right mm-hmm. so before then uh we would generally just have either beer or wine and and actually beer was probably the most common, uh, drink, uh, in fact, even just generally most common drink, but most common alcoholic drink for sure. Uh, because beer of course would have been made from any kind of, uh, grain that the, uh, people happened to be, uh, brewing anyway or using anyway, growing anyway. And, um, this is actually something pretty unusual about the, Greeks and Romans is that Greeks and Romans were basically the only countries, the only cultures that didn't really have like a beer culture that didn't really have this um, idea of everyone should just drink beer all mm-hmm. the time because, of course, they were drinking wine instead.
0: So this actually touches on something that I studied a lot in college. Uh, it's called the theory of geoalcoholics um and i we don't have to get too far into it but uh the idea is that um alcohol cultures of certain regions follow the uh the um agricultural practices so there's a beer belt where uh where grains are going to be more easily grown and more um in excess Whereas uh, the wine belt, which is around the Mediterranean, you have more grapes than you do have uh, grains. So uh, when you have excess of anything, that usually turns into, well, it's going to ferment, so let's turn it into an alcohol. And to that end, there's also a very strong uh, vodka belt up north, the uh, Russian Baltics, the Scandinavian countries as well. Mm -hmm. So Germany, England, very firmly in the beer belt.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, so we can presume from that that uh, Germany, England probably had like pretty good uh, grain farming conditions, Mm -hmm. I guess.
1: Although they do also have a wine culture, um, but definitely I don't think it's as uh, German wines are as well known around the world as as other wines or German beer.
0: Well, I don't know. I like a good Riesling. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah and uh, I wonder how old the the wine culture in Germany is.
0: Yeah, know? yeah, it's probably a little bit more recent than the beer culture.
2: Mm.
1: Do not know off the top of
2: my head. Some of the research I I was looking at uh made the point that, you know, food and uh of course beverage more uh important to us today. You know, this is a, this is one of the most useful and important kind of cultural markers or distinctions, you know, it's like, uh, you know, your what culture you're in based on what you eat and, mm-hmm. and what you don't eat and things like that. And so this um, kind of uh, cultural, let's say prejudice in, in Greece and Rome that, you know, sophisticated people drink wine <laughs> and uh, unsophisticated people drink beer, this, this kind of, has continued today to influence our ideas about, you know, beer being kind of like a rough, crude, manly, kind of low-class drink, whereas wine, of course, is it's the fancy <laughs> drink, you know. It's it's a thing that refined rich people drink and know, you have to know lots about in order to truly appreciate it, everything like you that. You have
0: to have a know. good wine glass and swirl it around and say things like, ooh, the leg's on this. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I mean the the effort that humans go to to like, uh, make like getting wasted seem, <laughs> uh, acceptable and sophisticated—it just blows my mind. I mean, it it amazes me that people like, go to university and can get you know a a bachelor's, master's, doctorate in just knowing about wine.
0: Yeah, it's it's bananas to me, uh. Because ultimately, isn't the point that you're just gonna be like a really sloppy fun having fun person. Isn't that the end goal of all alcohol? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, even if you're just getting like a even if you're not getting what we consider drunk, you're you're I mean it's it's all drunk, you know. Even a small degree of drunk is still drunk. I think even this distinction between like being buzzed and being drunk is is again just a just a sign of these like little cultural uh little lies that we tell ourselves. You
0: know? <laughs> at to that end, should we talk a little bit about Oktoberfest as a cultural staple of Germany?
2: Sure. Let's hear about it. This is something of course I know very little about so uh curious to hear whatever you guys mm-hmm. have to say.
0: So we know that the first Oktoberfest uh Ross you want to take a guess
2: uh I kind of remember let me see. Well I I'm guessing it was in Germany <laughs>
0: well it was before germany was a country so it was actually in the region of bavaria
2: so actually i was wrong already okay yeah it's like bavaria (laughs) yes something like that
0: yeah 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 Yeah. uh do you have an estimate of what time what period
2: again i vaguely remember coming across this but totally forgetting Mm -hmm. i'm gonna say 1500s
0: Ooh, actually much, much later than
2: that. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, the very first Oktoberfest uh, was celebrated as the wedding of Ludwig I and Teresa of Saxony Hildenburg, Hildenburg-Hausen uh, um, in 1810. Uh, it was in 1810 from October 12th through the 17th.
2: Wow, okay, so, so not that uh, long ago at all, I guess, 200-something years. You said it was, what was the dates of the original one?
0: October 12th through the 17th of 1810.
2: Fascinating. (laughs) So at some point, it seems to have moved quite a bit in the year, actually.
0: It has. It has. I'm sure Paisley knows all about why, right?
1: Oh yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> actually. Oh
0: <laughs> so, it it's a little bit similar. I know that we talked a couple weeks ago about the origins of the twelve days of Christmas. Uh did we talk about the origins of the twelve days of Christmas? Or is that just <laughs> that must have I been some other some that
2: you that you yeah, secretly... Yeah, doing. probably. <laughs> so,
0: was everybody was like, a lot of a lot of fun. We should make a a lot longer than it is right now. Um, of so, instead of going longer from the end on they started going longer uh t- starting it earlier and earlier uh because earlier in the summer the days are longer the weather's better and you can just spend more time drinking.
2: Now now I'm thinking like
0: mm-hmm.
2: what other like celebrations that we have today should we consider like extending two to three weeks longer Ooh. in the other direction? Halloween.
0: Halloween. <laughs> Jinx <laughs>
1: Halloween should be a month long <laughs> celebration, yes.
2: 100%. I 100%. Yeah, cuz there's there's nothing else around for it to kind of butt up against and October it's got good Halloween feels all month. I think it's a super good idea actually.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it should Absolutely. start around Labor Day. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. two months you know, two months of Halloween. I
0: start looking forward to Halloween as soon as uh, as soon as the 4th of July is over.
2: <laughs> man can, can you imagine how scared we'd all be by october 30th <laughs> <laughs>
0: um so uh there are some fun bavarian uh german um vocabs that i've looked up so bavarian german is a little bit different than what's known as high german which is what the standard what they speak in berlin and what they speak in like standardized german Mm-hmm. Um Bavarian German is a little bit more like Midwestern American English. It's it's mumbly and it's sort of pastoral. Um you hear uh, when a German hears Bavarian German, they think, uh, "Oh, that's a bumpkin." <laughs>
3: um
0: but uh, uh, the upside of that is it's also uh very friendly. I had a Bavarian professor in in uh, college and it was just such a pleasure listening to him speak in German. He was so, I mean, Obviously a lot of slang, a lot of uh fun, but um it was just uh a lot more it was like listening to somebody who's speaking Quebec French. It's a very um informal and kind of fun to listen to. So um so the uh let's see, for Oktoberfest, you hold Oktoberfest in what's known as a visan or a trecin uh, Visa, uh, uh, yeah, uh, which means the meadow. It's that big, open, um, grassy plain where they hold basically the fairgrounds. Yeah, and,
2: and of course, the uh, this original word, you said something like Teresa Wiesen. This was named after the the, the wife, the woman that he was marrying, mm-hmm. uh, Therese or Teresa uh, was the mm-hmm. name of his bride.
1: And it's a uh, right out of the Munich Bahnhof, and it's right there. No. <laughs> so is
0: it, a, you've been there. Is it a really nice area? What did they do with it when it's not Oktoberfest?
1: Uh, I'm, I've I actually never been there when it was not Oktoberfest. I only <laughs> um, attended Oktoberfest in this particular spot. <laughs> uh, because the rest of the time I was going to school in another part of town. Um, ah. But yeah, it is actually... During Oktoberfest, it's just so loaded down with beer tents and tables and with carnival rides that it's, I'm not entirely sure what it looks like without that. Um, It it definitely has a Mm -hmm. carnival atmosphere. um, But yeah, yeah, no, I don't think I recall ever seeing the area without Oktoberfest happening in it.
0: It could just be a 12-month thing in, in Munich. <laughs> we wouldn't know. Um, one of the more popular things that you would hear around, uh, uh, and correct my pronunciation, um, around uh, Oktoberfest is uh which means it's tapped. And I'm interested in this one. Eins, zwei, drei, gesuffe, I believe. Uh, it means one, two, three, Drink. Obviously German uh drink is trinken but uh k- sofa sounds like slang do you uh, I think it's I, closer I to
1: zalfen a... uh zalfen would be to actually the the act, uh the activity of getting drunk
3: <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah.
1: so if you're going out to get drunk it's a <laughs> oh
0: that makes a lot so of sense so that definitely
1: Direct. sounds like a bavarian <laughs> version of zalfen to
2: me hilarious
0: Okay. Um and also during uh Oktoberfest, there are a couple of fun uh German um drinking games, some Trinkenspiele. Um there is for example uh Hammerschlagen. <laughs> now Hammerschlagen uh uh and tell me if you've played this before Paisley. Um Hammerschlagen is when you take a big stump of a tree And everybody half hammers a nail into the tree and then takes turns uh, hitting their nail with the pointy end of the hammer uh, with the object of hammering the nail completely into the stump. Uh, The drinking part of this game is that anytime you miss with the pointy end of the hammer, you gotta drink.
1: That sounds terribly dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) I have not played this game. (laughs)
0: Um, it definitely sounds like something that you will get worse at as you lose. Yes. Um, (laughs) uh, which is the object of a lot of drinking games, I think. (laughs) Um, you also have, uh, what's known as flunky ball, which is, um, you play in teams and, uh, you take turns throwing a ping pong ball at a... Uh, an empty beer bottle that's, like, maybe 20 feet away. If you knock it over, the other team has to drink um, and keep drinking until your team goes to retrieve the ball. The object of this is that the first uh, per- the first team to finish all of their beer wins. Hmm. I-, I like it,
2: It's kind it, of like it a German like... beer pong. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it doesn't take too much skill, like, as opposed to the hammer thing... Where it seems like mm-hmm. you got to be pretty good with a hammer at that case, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, there is uh, mas Krugstemmel, which is the Steinholding Contest. Uh, the Steinholding uh. Contest. You have... Uh, oh, have you played this one before?
1: Um, No, but that's... Uh, I'm assuming you mean when the waitresses compete to see how many... And it's actually called a Mas. Uh, the giant beer glasses, um, they're not referred to as stein. Steins are actually the steinkrug, the ceramic ones with the with the middle class. But what you typically oh. see, the giant beer glasses, it's called a Mas. And I believe what you're referring to is the waitresses who, the servers who compete to see how many each one can carry. Is that correct?
0: So that is another game. Uh, and that's, uh, usually like a Maas race, mass Maas or something. Oh, okay. Um, the Maas Krugstemmel is the, uh, is the Maas, uh, holding contest. This is like, I, I would argue the least exciting of the drinking <laughs> games. Um, but a Maas holds, uh, one liter of alcohol, one liter of liquid. Um, They're so very basically, heavy. uh very heavy. Yes. Yeah, it it, it weighs 5.5 uh, 5 pounds. So the way that you play this and the way that everybody plays this is um everybody holds a uh, a full moss, a full uh 1 liter of beer uh out in front of them with a locked arm uh for as long as they can handle it.
1: Oh lord. <laughs> and
0: the last one to drink <laughs> The last one to give up and drink, or the last one to uh, to drop their beer, is the winner. Which, pr- arguably, probably the least exciting of the of the German drinking games that I've come across. I would much rather play flunky ball, for my part.
2: <laughs> it also it sounds like something like the CIA probably does to people <laughs> as like an interrogation <laughs> tactic. <you know>?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh. I I could see where it would be rather amusing having lifted a few in my time. There there, I I can't even lift it with one arm. It's it's definitely a, a <laughs> two hand two fisted drinking experience for me. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> I would be fully two handing it, and I am not a big fan of beer. But I'd probably have to go at this with a straw. Uh, <laughs> there is no way that I can drink a full liter of beer.
2: Uh. Speaking of um straws uh actually in the original in the original beer uh it was actually drunk with a straw and this is actually the invention of the straw it seems like like what? it seems like straws were first invented in mesopotamia for the purpose of drinking your beer and uh now the reason...
0: do you think do you think that it was invented by necessity because beer is really gross
2: at that and- time, it was even <laughs> grosser. So, like, the reason that they had uh, straws is because beer basically just had a bunch of junk in it. It was like the beer Ooh. itself was like a thick, kind of like gruel type uh, substance. And just generally, it would have, you know, pieces of any kind of fermentable, flavory thing, you know, so pieces of fruit, uh, pieces of plants, like. Uh, Uh, herbs spices you know whatever would be in there and so you just wanted to kind of get your straw like in the middle like least corrupted part to just drink without getting (laughs) any like big chunks of uh rotten fruit or something in your was this before
0: the advent of the sieve what the hell
2: (laughs) yeah i mean probably so i think a straw is a much simpler device right i mean so uh people Historians generally uh, consider the invention of something called beer or some kind of fermentable uh, beverage to have been like as laid back as 13,000 years ago. So we probably didn't have that much technology, you know, in these early days. Uh, These Mesopotamian times, so this is quite a bit later than that. Uh, This would have been... I believe around, okay, 10,000 years ago. So, yeah, super long time, right? Ooh. So, I don't know. Do we have sieves? Maybe not. <laughs> you know,
0: alcohol hecka predates germ theory. Golly.
2: <laughs> I mean, to be perfectly honest, like, so I, I make this thing now for breakfast a lot where I take grits, you know, this like ground up cornmeal. I don't know why mm-hmm. I'm explaining it like nobody knows what grits <laughs> are, but, uh, and I cook them. And then I add extra water so that I make what I call, like, soupy grits or drinking <laughs> grits. That way I can, like, drink them from a cup as I'm driving or getting dressed or something like that. So, like, I don't know, man. You you Russ, add some alcohol. I, I, I might be down for it, honestly.
0: Russ, I love you, but that is the most old man thing I've ever heard you
2: say. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love a good food that you don't have to chew. I mean, my favorite... <laughs> Dessert is probably pudding, you know? <laughs> I love pate, you know, where they just take the meats and they, like, blend it up. I, I think, like, I will be the world's best old man, probably. <laughs>
0: Wait until you hear about Jello. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh So... On the topic of beer, we should at least talk about kind of the origins etymology of uh, this word as well. So, just like alcohol, I, I guess beer is roughly the same in German. Yeah, same pronunciation. Bier, yeah,
1: das Beer. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Different spelling. Sure. Das Beer. Maybe Bier. a little bit
2: different mm. spelling. Yeah. Um, this word beer. To be honest, there's not a one hundred percent. Uh, agreement and uh, definite idea about where it came from. so there there's kind of two um possibilities roughly. And, and I would say, like many things, you know, maybe there's some convergence or maybe we're just a little bit mixed up about which direction you know, which word came from which, uh, because one of them is you know we have this word barley, right? And so uh mm. beer, as we know typically today made from barley, like barley hops and water, something like that, and yeast, of course. Um, so in Proto-Germanic, you had a word something like buwos uh, or buwo, something like this. And possibly we get that, you know, beer is like a barley drink, or possibly barley was a grain used to make beer, right? One way mm-hmm. or the other. Um, you know, we, we also, we don't totally know, like, which came first, like bread or beer? You know, it's, it's really, there's a lot of confusion over, did people start farming to make bread and did the bread ferment and then make beer or did people start farming in order to make beer and then they realize, oh, we can also make a bread <laughs> from this as well, you know.
0: I think it's very interesting that alcohol is so old that there is actually some anthropological confusion over whether it predates bread, (laughs) which is obviously, like, the oldest food known to man. Yeah,
2: Yeah, there's still this big question over, like, just how much of, like, deadbeat fuck-ups are humans. Like, first thing we did was get (laughs) drunk. Yeah, probably. I wonder if it
1: only predates um, bread as we know it today, but you know obviously i think that bread would have been made without yeast prior to being made with yeast so i wonder if that would make me think mm. bread itself uh unleavened bread would would be older than alcohol
0: now in jewish tradition in jewish tradition bread actually predates unleavened bread so matzah was invented obviously uh in uh, uh uh according to jewish tradition it was invented uh, in Egypt after uh, after the pharaoh released all the Hebrews. And they were like, real quick, before he changes his mind, we have to get the heck out of Dodge. So there was no time to let the bread rise. Um, so they just put it in without yeast, made matzah meal. So matzah actually comes after bread in Jewish tradition.
2: And, and so, of course, you know, the uh, intentional adding of yeast to things or knowingly adding yeast, of course, uh, came much, much later. I I think uh, both bread and uh, beer, for most of human history, they, you know, had all these kind of chemical effects arising or bubbling or fermenting, and we didn't really know why. So I'm sure that most of the yeasting of both bread and beer and whatever was probably accidental. And then, you know, one of these things where they hoped it would happen, but they weren't really (laughs) sure, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I I think that probably for most people, most early peoples, uh, the main food source was like a kind of a gruel again, you know, kind of like some kind of a paste of some kind of grain, you know, which I mean, like, effectively is it bread? Is it beer? What is it exactly? You know, it depends how thick is it? How much did you cook it? Whatever. Uh, so, you know, there may not have been a really big distinction between the two, right? In early days, you know, just so their beer was a bit more fermented than their bread, which is probably also kind of fermented because, uh, that just kind of happens to things, you know?
0: So sometimes I like to kind of like fantasize about going back in time and enjoying just like um, talking with people from way back when. But this conversation has completely changed my mind because that sounds disgusting (laughs) and beer sounds disgusting. Like all of this, I would have to pack a serious lunch because I am. There is no way.
2: Speaking of disgusting, so I can raise the bar one more, but it's kind of tangential. (laughs) Uh, So. One of the kind of debates about, you know, was beer the first alcoholic drink or was it something probably more fruit fermented, which probably it was, Mm -hmm. you know, because fruits ferment basically with you having to do nothing. Uh, Grains, generally, you have to kind of process it to break down these starches into sugars. Well, the thing is, there is a good way to do this, and that's by chewing it a little bit. Uh, so actually masticating grains uh, in order no. to release the sugars and then spitting them back out. This was actually Shut up. A, This was a very mm. early uh, alcohol production method. And actually, I think it's still used a little bit in some really uh, oh. kind of like offbeat places. I think
1: in the Amazon, as a matter I of fact. I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I believe I've seen a beer that's imported here that... I hope that's not how they make what they <laughs> import, but I read a little about the history of it, and and that is how it's traditionally made, is through that method.
0: That's horrifying. Are you saying that early alcohol was, like, <laughs> baby birding people?
1: That's...
2: Right. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it really does sound that's, like... Well,
1: you don't do it directly into the other person's mouth. It, it really does sound like <laughs>
2: if they, like, uh, went to the guy who made Human Centipede and they asked him to, like, make a spring break movie, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh god, oh
0: god, that's horri I know that alcohol kills germs, but
1: there is a drinking game for you. <laughs> <laughs> the human centipede drinking game. Oh
0: no, no, oh gosh, gross. Alright,
2: I'm gonna I I've changed my mind. No no two-month Halloween. Now now Halloween is zero days. <laughs> no more. We've seen where it can lead. <laughs> We've
0: gone back far enough. No further.
2: (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) the other possible and I would say probable route for beer is just this general word for, like, drink, right? So, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. in lots of uh, romance languages, you have something like uh, be bear or uh, I I don't know. What is it in German? What is the word for drink generally?
1: Trink Getränk.
2: Ah, it's like drink, of course. The drink. Is. Yeah, so totally different root there. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> generally, generally, uh, the more, let's say, Latin-influenced languages have something along the lines of like a bebe or a bebe or something like that. Uh, in mm. in English, you can see this in a, a variety of different words. Uh, the most obvious one is just like beverage, right? So this bebeer and beverage comes from this kind of Latin sense of to drink something you know
0: that makes sense
2: um so this this word they actually kind of theorize what the proto-indo-european root might be just based on how did it evolve and change in different places and uh they've decided it should be the proto-indo-european word for drink should be something maybe like poe or poe or something like that and so from here, we get a variety of words. Uh, in in Slavic languages, generally, beer is something like a uh, piva or pivo. So this comes from that same mm. kind of poish or Pishness there. Um, in English, we have words like a uh, potion, right? So this also has a sense of something that you might drink. Um, gotcha. The word poison, even so, poison in its oh. uh, original, in its original sense simply just meant a drink. When did it come to mean like a drink that could kill you? It's not really too clear, Uh, but probably, you know, just from reduction, right? So you had uh, something that was called like a deadly poison and then eventually just dropped the deadly part, right? Mm. (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) Why not? Uh, Oddly, um, this word uh, pierogi also comes from this idea of to drink uh so originally it was a kind of a word for peace for feast i'm sorry um and so of course a feast is a place where you eat and you drink so it's kind of a place where you're going to drink and then a pierogi was a food that was made at this kind of feast so actually pierogi also comes from same root as beer oddly enough um Mm -hmm. let me just go through a few more here symposium So, of course, now we think of a symposium as a uh, kind of austere, uh, let's say, mindful conference, right, where you might talk about some important ideas. Um, But originally, this was just a place where you would go to drink together, right? So sim had some meaning like together, like sin, as in synthesis. Uh, And of course, again, this like posis uh, had some root like to drink. So this was in its origin, kind of like a drinking party, right? Uh, now mm-hmm. we think of it as like a kind of a stuffy meeting where you're going to like hear somebody give their like uh, amateur TED talk or something, you know?
0: Nice. What else you got?
2: Yeah, let me check if there's anything else I really want to say. Uh, one, one more kind of uh, interesting, weird connection, a little bit surprising. So actually, hibachi as well. What? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, in Japanese, so, hibachi, uh, you had a word like high or he for fire, right? And then you had a word uh-huh. like uh, bachi, uh, which was kind of uh, transposed from a similar word hachi, which meant like a bowl or a pot. Um, this word like bachi came from a Sanskrit word like patram, which meant like a cup, right?
0: Weird. You know, you never. I. I you usually think of J- uh, Japanese as a really isolated language. It's really fun to see that it has some uh, shared roots.
2: Yeah, I mean, I. I think that's such a. Um, that that's such a flaw in our history, right? It's everything so like uh, Eurocentric and Western centric? That mm-hmm. I think that probably there are tons of these like connections to East Asia, connections to African culture, that we just totally miss out on even knowing exist, you know.
0: hmm Agreed. Russell, which country did we cover in Eurovision this year?
2: <laughs> well, I'm going to guess that we covered... this episode. <laughs> yeah, this episode, I'm, I'm going to guess that we covered Germany.
0: We did! How'd you know?
2: Besides <laughs> the fact seemed,
0: that I told you a couple just weeks seemed ago. seemed <laughs> right,
2: and also you told me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the German song this year?
0: Uh this year the German song was uh Rock Stars by uh Malik Harris. Uh Paisley, what did you think of this song first?
1: Um, I mean it was I think a bit bland for a song contest, and uh I can certainly see why in Germany, Electric Cowboy was kind of the fan favorite Mm -hmm. uh, for the entry. Unfortunately, they didn't make it this year.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ross, how'd you feel about this entry?
2: Yeah, this is one of those songs where it's like, you just listen to it and you're like, do they know what eurovision is you know it's like (laughs) like this isn't really the kind of song people come to eurovision to listen to you know it's like no one's excited Mm -hmm. to to hear these kind of like uh mopey like navel gazey songs you know
0: and uh uh but if memory serves of course uh you did seem to appreciate this one a little bit more than last year's german entry which yeah. of course was uh, "I don't feel hate"
2: by Hendrik. Yeah,
0: yeah. You uh, you couldn't even finish that one, could you?
2: <laughs> yeah, I was shocked to <laughs> to look back this year and see that they did even worse last year. Like, does Germany ever have a good Eurovision song? Is there there's something oh, going yeah. wrong in their like selection process or something? I think they're in a really lousy. Um, well, street.
1: according to the fans, very much so. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and some... the, the
1: fans almost feel as if Germany's trying to lose. Yeah, it could mm-hmm. be
2: it. Yeah, it's like a don't have to host the Eurovision next year thing, right?
1: <laughs> they haven't won in quite a while, and I think they've only won a hand, like less than a handful of times overall. Although,
0: interestingly, they do hold the title for uh, most Eurovision entries. Since the advent of Eurovision, Germany has only missed one contest in 1996. <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, that does sound very German. They're always, like, very, like, you know, uh, conscientious about not missing things, you know.
0: Very punctual, the Germans. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Electric Cowboy really seems like a band that was made for Eurovision. Like, they're they're so, like, weird and, like, high energy and positive and, like, Mm -hmm. a little funny, you know, but not in, like, a... (laughs) It's, like... They're a little funny, but not in a oh that's clever way. It's like they're just funny in like that like goofy. It just kinda grabs
1: way, you yeah. the the change in energy, yeah. I think, is what really makes you laugh.
2: Yeah, for sure. With
1: with their songs.
2: Hmm. Um,
0: what was it that we covered from Norway this year? It was uh uh Give that before that wolf eats my grandma, give that wolf a banana.
2: Yeah, sure. So that's like that's is...
0: peak Eurovision to me.
2: Yeah, that's basically what you're going for. That's kind of the the template, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah, but this one was very um it felt like it kind of felt like my skull was a sieve. Like it came in and it left. It was very very uh bland, not nothing too special about this one. Uh this actually placed uh, um Rockstars actually placed uh 25th out of 25 entries
2: you said 25th (laughs) out of 25
0: yeah yeah they uh
2: to the very didn't do so
0: hot this year (laughs) yeah uh they only scored six points this year
2: so enlighten me like what is the selection process like how do how do they decide how do countries decide what song goes to eurovision
0: uh, so it varies country by country, uh Paisley, do you know a lot about the uh German Eurovision selection process
1: uh not terribly. I do know it as a panel of uh judges who select the song um and apparently they need to be replaced with new judges. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because they haven't been doing a terribly, they haven't been very competitive in in Eurovision at all. But yeah, they um, the different bands and artists submit their songs, and I'm not exactly sure from there how the panel goes about selecting the uh, the winner.
0: So my understanding who of who German... who they
1: will put forward for the contest.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a there's a um a jury aspect so representatives of um this country they have a say uh to my understanding there's also a uh public voting aspect in the german selection process so um there is an aspect of, uh, of the ju- the jury has this much sway uh, uh, this much weight to their votes and uh the public vote has this much weight and apparently, the and public- I would say
1: the public vote doesn't have very much weight because um, Certainly not enough. with the whole controversy over this year's entry, there was even a, a huge online petition to try to move Electric Cowboy forward as the choice. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I forget how many signatures they got, but it was a significant number, and it doesn't seem like it really swayed the, the jury at all.
0: Mm-hmm uh and this is something that uh certainly british fans british fans of eurovision have marked in the past uh uh that there may be some aspect uh, some economic aspect to this uh, cuz it's not it's not cheap to host eurovision so um i know i know a couple of years ago when great britain started their uh streak of really lousy songs Um, there was a conspiracy theory that uh, the government and the jury was specifically choosing losers so that they wouldn't have to put forth the economic um, uh, output in order to host the next year.
1: Hmm. (laughs) Maybe that's the German strategy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and this was actually referenced in the Will Ferrell movie a little bit. Uh, The villain of uh, Eurovision, the Will Ferrell movie, Um, was, of course, the uh, Icelandic uh, uh, economic minister who uh, sabotaged, Mm. and in fact, I think he blew up a boat with all of the good singers um, (laughs) in order to (laughs) make sure that they would not win, in fact.
2: It's really wild that, you know, like Europe is really eating our lunch when it comes to having, like, good-functioning democracy. (laughs) And yet they, they managed to make this Eurovision concert where like, uh, everything I hear about it, about how the judging, how the choosing, how the selecting works is just terrible. You know, it's like, it's like they Mm -hmm. made the worst decisions on purpose, you know, in every step. (laughs) Uh, but uh,
0: the one thing that I did appreciate with this performance was, uh, and I didn't appreciate a lot about the performance, um, but uh, he did have a stand with Ukraine on the back of his uh, guitar, and he did display it at the end of his song. Uh, oh. So there was a lot of solidarity for Ukraine this year, uh, which is uh, a, some say partially why Ukraine, some would say fully why Ukraine actually won Eurovision this year.
2: Good for him. Cool. Uh, so, so to talk just ever so briefly about, uh, the, you know, I was thinking about rock star, you know, it's kind of an interesting uh, little uh, phrase, little feature of the language in and of itself. So I was curious, you know, so we, we have, of course, rock coming from this uh, genre of rock and roll music. So where does that come from? And then we have star being used in a very particular way, of course, not in an uh, astronomical way so so when did we kind of start making this uh kind of obvious association where we generally when we whenever we hear that somebody's a star it doesn't even really register to us anymore that it's a uh idiom or a metaphor of any kind you know we just kind of think of yeah. it as a synonym for celebrity i think it's kind of interesting uh so on the rock or rock and roll side of it uh, this actually originated in, like, uh, nautical uh, slang and terminology, right? Obviously, just for the kind of rocking and rolling uh, motion of a ship. And this is dated to, like, the 17th oh. century, right? And, really? and so from there, it came to just kind of mean rhythmic movement of any kind. And so, uh, of course, this was uh, rife for euphemizing right so this very quickly became a, a euphemism for for sex of course you know what? So it's a bit rhythmic i guess mm-hmm. i mean i don't know is it necessarily <laughs> that rhythmic who knows i guess it depends on who's doing it um but this is as as any effective kind of euphemism is or double entendre or whatever you know this kind of uh, survived on this idea that had kind of dual meanings or multiple meanings. So not only did it have this idea of sex, but it had this idea of like dancing as well. Because again, dancing hopefully should be rhythmic again. I don't know. It depends on who's doing the dancing. Um, I
0: mean, we're white. How rhythmic is it really?
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this is a obvious, uh, obviously useful to tie to this idea of uh, the music because, First of all, you know, a lot of like older curmudgeonly people thought it was kind of way too sexual music. And even at the same time, a lot of the songs were using this idea of rocking and rolling in a kind of a double entendre way to talk about sex, talk about dancing, talk about just generally partying, playing music all at the same time. Uh, So this this is the path that it took from being a word for a boat moving to now being a word for just a type of music and I, I think it's very interesting that like nowadays you could just say like you rock right and in in that mm. case it just means like you're awesome or you you're really cool or you did something really good something like that you know
0: so the phrase sex drugs and rock and roll is really sex drugs and sex
2: <laughs> sex, drugs, and sex slash dancing. I suppose, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, sex, drugs, and sex again, or dancing, or sailing. You know, it's really uh, <laughs> really magnanimous. You can take your pick. Who's right? to say? <laughs>
0: We've seen our flag means death. It could mean all at the same time.
2: We got options, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so star on the other hand, you know, this idea of calling someone who's uh. You know, let's say really incredible as a presence, calling them a star. You know, I I would say there's really no, you know, great original route to find for that. Uh, People do make some uh, point to some things in, you know, literature, news, whatever, to say, okay, he called that actress a star. So that was when it started or something like that. Uh, But I think that those things are, uh, it's a little iffy. I, I think we've been comparing. Uh, things that are somehow bright or shining or standing out mm-hmm. as stars basically forever. But this idea of a star being specifically like a, you know, like a celebrity, like uh, someone who you can market this was actually a very uh, specific and intentional uh, campaign in Hollywood in the motion picture industry uh, called the Star System. And you can look it up. Or you can look up you know, the Hollywood Star System and find it. Um, so in the early days of cinema, uh, we actually didn't have this situation we have today where usually the, the kind of one main thing you know about a movie is who's in it, right? So this mm-hmm. is kind of, this is front and center before you know anybody else you know it's a tom cruise movie or something you you maybe you know who directed it you definitely don't know who wrote it you know you just basically <laughs> know the big actor who's in it right and mm-hmm. and this actually wasn't always the case uh so before the um let me see i, I hold while i find my research okay let's see uh I will have to cut this part obviously but just one sec. I didn't have it quite. I was going
0: to say if we're talking about German it would would probably started with somebody like Howard Stern.
2: <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> German <laughs> pun high five. Yeah.
2: Ah, cuz it must mean star in German. Okay, I I'm on board. It does. I get it. Yeah, okay.
1: Stan. <laughs>
2: um so this this star system uh started in like the 1920s. So before that, uh you generally didn't know the name of the actors who were in the movies right so so generally they they really more branded based on uh, what studio the movie came out of actually and mm. actors were actually pretty uh under appreciated and really like let's say uh under in in the industry uh but they realized that, of course, in a lot of instances. people really love actors uh you know people love looking at beautiful people, they love to idolize them, etc. Uh, so they, they made this the kind of center point of their marketing uh, in the 1920s. And, of course, this was a very successful move for them. And, and they called them stars, you know. this was They used this word to describe them there, you know. Mm-hmm. That's interesting.
1: That is interesting. It's really worked out for them, too. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it frustrates me to no end this idea that like, the people that we, you know, have the best name recognition that we know the most about that we love, oftentimes more than we love, you know, friends are just celebrities that we we never meet and are, you know, only famous (laughs) for being famous and usually good looking or something, you know, so this is where it all began, actually, in the 1920s in this uh, star system. Marketing.
0: So that's the origin of the parasocial relationship.
2: Stop. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: So it does, it is a little bit interesting to me that rock star is rock, which is very typically on the ground, and star, <laughs> which is very typically in the <laughs> sky.
2: It is. Yeah. Actually, you know what? <laughs> now that I'm saying that, maybe we've uh, given this song short shrift. Maybe it's actually like... <laughs> has <laughs> some like hidden genius, you know. We'll have to do a uh, deep dive, deep reading of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: please no. <laughs> I can only hold it in my brain for like 2 seconds at a time. It's not a very fun song. <laughs> no offense, Malik. I am I'm-, I'm sure that j- that English is your second language. Which is why I really like like when Eurovision like uses the uh um the hu- the Language of the representative country, Mm -hmm. Germany hasn't done that in a while. I think,
1: and it's too bad because they've won uh, with that. I think they can bring that back. Mm -hmm. They have, haven't
0: they? Paisley, do you have a favorite German winner?
1: Um, not with Eurovision. (laughs) No, 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 because it's been—I think the last time they won was the '80s or early '90s, actually.
2: Wow! Oh yeah, it's been a while. Does 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 Germany have like a German Idol competition or a German The Voice or, or <laughs> German X Factor or something like I, that? I I feel like they of probably do, their own but of I X-Factor.
1: I'm not aware of any off mm-hmm. the top of my head. I didn't do a lot of TV watching um. over there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sure. Which is fair cuz I think I think uh it uh the US is unique in how many channels we have. Everybody else has like I know that Great Britain has like 3 channels. So <laughs> um I think it's pretty uh universal over overseas that there's not a not whole lot Not without
1: buying options. cable. You not have as to many purchase cable to have TV. better options for television and um in mm. Germany and I can speak for the UK as well if you have not paid for cable, it's basically, it's it's very little choice and it's sort of the same kind of thing. And yeah, very, not, not very exciting stuff. Yeah. A lot of gardening shows and <laughs> a lot of sort of Lawrence Welk type music shows and that kind of thing.
0: America doesn't do a lot right, but we are pretty good at cinema and TV. <laughs>
2: yeah mm-hmm. not bad all right so uh paisley before we go tell us again uh where people can find your podcast what you have coming up on the podcast uh where they can find you otherwise like twitter email whatever contact you share things okay. like that.
1: okay um so because of the music and talk uh feature that i use of uh, um i record on anchor uh that unfortunately limits the podcast to basically just Spotify. Um, I think there is actually a way to reach Mm -hmm. it through Google Podcast because it shows up in my analytics, although I haven't really gone there, and you can listen to the podcast directly on Anchor. Um, However, you do have to actually pay Mm -hmm. for a subscription to Spotify um, to hear the full songs. For some reason, they limit the songs to 30-second clips if you do not have a premium subscription. Um, But I I have at least one friend who listens to the podcast who just listens to the songs on YouTube and then (laughs) listens to the podcast because he's very stubborn and does not want to pay for a subscription, and I don't blame him. Um, but uh yeah, there <laughs> you can also search uh Learn German through music on Facebook and on Twitter and there um their daily vocabulary reviews and also like I do a Sunday Fun Day thing where I post the music videos whenever they're available to the songs that were featured and I try to put up links to anything cultural that came up um in recent episodes, so for this most recent episode, there is a link to the Munich auto show website. And, you know, I think I mentioned a comedy show, um, in that episode. So there's a link to that comedy show as well.
0: Great. Thank you so much for joining us today. we really, really, uh, like, yeah, this a lot it's of fun. great.
1: Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, this Ooh. is really great. We... And you're you're our first guest, so that makes us that makes you our. What did you say was the German literal translation of <laughs> guinea pig again?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mäuschenschen. Mäuschenschen. Um, yeah. Wonderful. You're that a little sea pig. <laughs>
2: <laughs> little sea <sea-tig>. Okay. <laughs> so Although I of...
0: love, oh my gosh, little ground man. Like they're just little yeah. gnomes. That's the cutest thing in the world. I love that. I know. I
1: so love much. that so much. <laughs> Ant <Munchen>. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
2: So this has been great. Thank you so much, Thank Paisley. You. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, mm. This is Getting Down in Wordy. I have been Russell Perkle. I've been Paisley.
0: I've been Hannah.